Well, um, how many of you uh, believe that our nation could use some prayer? Wow, 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 wow. I, um, I, I had trouble sleeping on Saturday morning, and so I got up and I was reading, and then I tried to catch up. My wife and I have watched a couple of episodes of a series about a cult, and so she's ahead of me, so I was playing catch up a little bit. And as I was watching this documentary or whatever you'd want to call it based on this, this cult, the, the things that I saw this cult doing were just, it was stomach churning. It was just absolutely stomach churning. They were presenting themselves as having the answer, the, the answers that the world needed. They were demonizing those who disagreed with them. And then they would paint those people as enemies. And they used highly manipulative and misleading rhetoric that distorted the facts. And then they used intimidation, just intimidation to attack, attack, attack anyone that disagreed with them. And then the TV, I got done with the on-demand and it rolled into the news. And I, I just saw the same things. You know, I saw politicians, I saw celebrities, I saw all these influential people who should know better. Unless they're intentionally trying to manipulate people, they should know better. I saw them engaging in the same practices. Very irresponsible. I saw them presenting themselves as having all the answers to these complex problems. We need each other on these complex problems. I saw them demonizing those who disagreed with their policies. Demonizing. As people, not as we disagree with your policy, here's why. Demonizing the people that had their differences of opinions. Treating them as enemies. They used highly manipulative and misleading rhetoric that distorts the facts. And then many of these people are using intimidation to attack, attack, attack those who disagree. May I present to you that Jesus of Nazareth taught his disciples a very different way, didn't he? He taught us a very different way. And as you pray for our nation, I want to encourage you to listen as you're praying, if you don't already. Because very often the things that we have as burdens that God puts on our hearts as we're praying, who does he want to be part of the solution? us. And for us to set a different example when it comes to how we disagree and a different example than the example that we're seeing almost all around us, trying to imitate as best we can, becoming more like Jesus of Nazareth. That's what this series is all about that we're starting today. It's about growing. It's about more of us becoming more like Jesus. And whether or not you believe personally that Jesus Christ really was the son of God, whether you really believe that he actually walked on water, whether you believe that he rose from the dead, I hope you know this was a real person who stepped into a real time in our history of our world. And the situation that he stepped into was so much more polarized, polarized and so much more challenging on every level that you can't even really compare what he went through and what what he stepped into and what we're in today. In Jesus' day, you know, people talk about our government being oppressive compare that right now to most governments around the world, but also compare that to what Jesus stepped into, where the Roman Empire was literally occupying their land with an iron fist. And think about what Jesus stepped into. You know, we, we, we talk about, and, we underst- and I understand about persecutions. A lot of people with religions feel persecuted, and that's not okay. But think about Jesus' day, 
when things were so amplified, literally the Roman governor Pilate mixed the blood of some Galileans with their sacrifices. Imagine that. Jesus stepped into that world. When it comes to women's rights, when it comes to sexual expression, that was a culture where literally you have an ancient document, we look at it, and it's got this account where a woman was about to be stoned, literally, not verbally, literally stoned for committing adultery. That was the world that Jesus stepped into. And into that divided and violent and polarized world, Jesus was able to thread the needle like no one else I've ever seen. He was able to thread that needle between calling out those in power and not inciting rebellion. They were going to make him king. They were going to make him king. And he refused that. He was able to challenge authority without inciting rebellion. He threaded that needle. He embodied both grace and truth. He taught his followers to love their enemies. He didn't just say it. Everyone right now, we're the, we're the group of love. Then why are you calling the other people enemies? Jesus taught us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. And Jesus, people talk about bringing people together. Jesus brought together men and women, young and old, rich and poor, sinners and saints, zealots, patriots, and people who would have been considered traitors. And the way did Jesus did this looks so different than the way that political activists are doing it today. The approach also, this is the thing as a person who cares about results. What Jesus did actually worked. What Jesus did actually worked. It actually helped the problems. The world began to experience gains in women's rights that the world had never seen. Slavery would be abolished in most of the areas of the globe where Christianity spread to based on the principles that Jesus taught. Public education can be traced to Christianity. Everyone worked or was encouraged to work. And there was even a period of time, we read about it in the book of Acts, where there were no poor, none among them because they all work together to eliminate poverty amongst them. Again, this is a new series about growing, and I couldn't agree more with my brother Brandon, not physical brother, brother in Christ Brandon, that this is going to be a milestone for us. We're going to look back on this one, because this is a series that is about more and more of us becoming more and more like Jesus. And may I present to you that our nation and our world will be a better place if more of us are more like Jesus. Can I get an amen? All right, well, let's dive in. All right, as we launch this series, I, I've got to start by acknowledging the, the white elephant in this room. And that white elephant is that Western Christians as a group are horrible at this. At authentic spiritual growth, we are horrible at this. You know, study after study after study confirms that the percentage of Christians in America is declining against population. Every state of the union, with the exception of Hawaii, and Hawaii was breaking even. Every other state. And when it comes to individuals, study after study confirms that individual lives of people who profess to be Christians are looking less and less like Jesus. And I spent some time thinking about that this week. And the more I did, the more ironic this became. You know, I think about President John F. Kennedy, and he challenged people to put a man where? On the moon! 
Have you ever stopped and looked at that target and thought about that? Conspiracy theories aside, let's just assume that it actually happened, right? Which I believe it did. Go out there sometime. We're spinning like this. The moon's spinning. Everything's spinning. They hit that target. He said, we're going to go hit that target. We hit the target. Can Americans do great things? Yeah, we can do great things. Westerners, we tend to lead the world when it comes to performance and technology and innovation. Americans, we literally write the books when it comes to leadership, multitasking, time management. As a people, we get stuff done, right? We get stuff done. In fact, let me just give an illustration from my sermon illustration. Um, I had an idea for a sermon illustration. It came to me on Wednesday night. And the object that I needed, I didn't have. So what did I do on Wednesday night? Went to Amazon.com. And I had an idea on Wednesday night. And on Friday morning, that thing that I'm going to show you later was at my doorstep. Think how everything that has to happen to make that happen. For me to type into a computer and for that thing to arrive at my doorstep on Friday from some other state, it's insane. Americans, we can get stuff done. People, they want to study at our universities. They want to work at our companies. They want to live in our country. We are so good at so much stuff. Why are we so poor at spiritual growth? I'm going to needle you. I've used some words on purpose here. In your notes, here's how I worded this next talk point. Just to needle you and to needle me. I wanted to get under my own skin on this. Why are most Westerns, I'm going to make you say the word, underperforming. Don't you hate that word? I hate that word. Why are so many Westerners underperforming when it comes to God-honoring growth? Why? It's especially perplexing when you consider all the resources that we've got access to. There are more Christian resources written in what language than any other? English. Have you ever gone on Amazon or something and Googled Bible? There are Bibles for every kind of subgroup on the planet. There's Bibles, more Bibles than you can imagine out there. Online, written. We've got Christian music and art that the world hasn't had access to. Plus, we have all theirs also. We, we've got Christian schools and conferences and camps and events. We've got Christian specialists for any need you can think of. We've got churches and groups for every age and stage. Men, women, couples, teens, kids, parents, families, singles, teachers, doctors, leaders. I, when we go to camp, we pass this church. It says Cowboy Church on it. We've got a cowboy church. So you add all this together and the math doesn't make sense, does it? Because we have more resources than anyone else has ever had. We've got as much or more drive than anyone's ever had. We, it's part of our culture. You know, I remember when I go to other countries and I serve, you know, my, my limited experience doing that, they say, are we on Mexican time or are we on American time? Are we on Haitian time or American time? American time is let's go. Right? We, we, that's, this is the thing. So we've got these goal-setting skills. We've got time management skills. And then when it comes to spiritual growth, we should be killing it. Especially since most of us, if we're a Christian, we said nothing matters more, right? This is priority A1. 
I've been reflecting on this. I've been praying about this. And I believe the answer could be as simple as this. And when I say simple, I don't mean easy. But I do mean simple. I think it's as simple as God has revealed how spiritual growth works. And we're doing something else. God's revealed how this works. And we're doing something else. As we launch this series, I want to present as best I can, as best I see it, biblical principles for growth. More people, more like Jesus, as defined in Scripture. Today, what we're going to do is I'm just going to present that model as best I can, and then we're going to spend the next five weeks trying to unpack that model. And then we're going to spend until Jesus takes us home or until he comes back, we're going to try to pursue this as best we can as his people. All right, so we'll start the journey here. And this is in half of your notes. It was a late night last night. <laughs> so half of you have this next talk point in your notes. I just found this out. And half of you don't. So some of you only have to fill in one blank. And some of you get to write the whole thing. As providence would have it. For everything, there's a reason. And the reason for this was me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> here it is. Spiritual growth principles are revealed through the world God created. We might want to leave that up on the screen because of my, uh, my mistakes. Spiritual growth principles are revealed through the world that God created. It is amazing as you go through the scriptures how many things God, how many times growth, whether it's personal or whether it's corporate for us together, how often God uses organic language as he describes it. We're going to look at two of these right now. Let's start with the Matthew one. Matthew chapter 6, verses 28 through 29. As we're turning there, I want to do two things. The first thing I want to do is let you know, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one here today free. You, you can't do spiritual growth without the Word of God. And so we'd love for you to take a copy home free. The other thing I want to do is it's just... It was, I was reminded that we spent quite a bit of time in this passage together as a, as a church not too long ago. And this is an example of how you can return to the same passage over and over and over again. And there's always more to explore. And so here we're going to look at today. Matthew chapter 6, verses 28 through 29. And these are the words of Jesus. He said, consider the lilies of the field. How they, what? Grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Okay, let's unpack this just a little bit. Um, as I was preparing or prepping for this lesson, I came across his quote. Now, I did not have time to fact check this, but here's what my source said, and so you can take a look at it and, and fact check it. My source said this about this particular passage. It said, the word that we translate as consider here in English does not fully cover the implications of the Greek word that was originally used, kamamathete. This is the intensive form of metha, metha, that word, meaning to learn or observe or study or research. And whenever the Greek kata is used in front of the verb, it usually intensifies the word. In our context... It would mean to diligently learn, observe, study, or research. What is it then that we're to diligently study? It's not the lily's beauty, but rather their growth mechanisms, i.e. how they grow. 
We're to study these growth mechanisms, examine them, meditate on them, take our direction from them. All of these aspects are included in the imperative verb form of kata mathete. And we are told that we need to do these things in order to understand the principles of the kingdom of God. Okay, so God created the world and he gave us the metaphor. Never forget that. And I don't know which one came first or probably the way that God's mind worked. They probably just at the same time. So he gave us the metaphor and he created the thing that the metaphor is describing. So God created this world where you can take something that looks dead, like a seed, and you can put it in the dirt. And if the seed is good and the conditions are right, that seed will grow into something beautiful. So what can we learn by studying this metaphor that Jesus himself gave us. Now, I geek out on this more than a lot of people because I was pre-med for a couple years in college and I spent a lot of time doing what this book said to do. I spent a lot of time diligently learning and observing and studying and researching biological processes. And here are three things, three things that I learned about healthy growing bodies. And there's a place to write this one in everyone's notes. Everyone's knows. Healthy, growing bodies are whole and they're integrated and they're able to prioritize. Healthy, growing bodies are whole. Healthy, growing bodies are made up of countless specialized parts all bound together. And they're not just bound together, they're integrated. Healthy, growing bodies are organized into specific life-giving systems that all work together. And even plants are able to prioritize. The integrated systems of a healthy, growing body are able to put first things first. And they divert resources to the most essential tasks. Now, I'm especially geeking out about this because I wasn't just pre-med. I also completed an undergraduate degree in education and I have my master's in theological studies. So put all that together, you know, and as a person who has diligently learned and observed and studied and researched how bodies grow as someone who's diligently learned and observed and studied and researched how people grow as someone who has diligently learned and observed and studied and researched the scriptures. I'm fascinated by what they say about growth. And let's take a look then at this other passage. And these aren't exhaustive. There's a lot more passages than this. We only have time for these. This is out of Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to hit highlights from verses 1 through 16. Look at how these connections between growth and maturity and, and all these things. All right, it starts off like this. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Don't forget that part. Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness. Side note, you want to change the world? These are two of the keys, aren't they? Humility and gentleness. Because you can make someone an enemy and you can defeat them, but will you change their heart? Nope, you'll harden it. These are powerful if you want to change hearts. Gentleness, humility. All right, with, with all humility, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. 
And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we can all attain the unity and the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity and to the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're able to grow up in every way, into him who's the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, there's a whole related lane that we could run down here when it, about this, so that it takes a disciple to make a disciple. Isn't that true? All right. Well, this person who wrote this, he was a true disciple of Jesus Christ. We have here a teaching about spiritual growth from arguably the most spiritually mature person ever to walk the earth besides Jesus himself, a man named Paul. And how do we know his faith was as mature as it was? All kinds of reasons, one of which is right here in the text. Where was he writing this letter from? Prison. He had the kind of faith that could stand up in front of persecution and still thrive. His faith could thrive in prison. And not only did his personal faith thrive in the midst of persecution, so did the churches that he planted. He was planting churches all over the place, and most of them were facing extreme persecution, and yet they thrived to the point where these people... And eventually, this religion, this faith, eventually became the official religion of the empire that crucified its founder. Think about that. If we're looking for best practices for growing, this is our guy, right? This is our guy. Well, Paul, he practiced a form of discipleship that was whole and it was integrated. Why do I say that? Not only because he gave us his body metaphor, but because he taught Paul said, whatever you do, whether it's in word or it's in deed, do it what? If you know it, all in the name of Jesus Christ. It's integrated, it's whole. And then he also practiced a form of discipleship that was prioritized. He said, these are his words. He goes, for me to live is Christ. To die is what? Gain. This is all about Christ. So it was all of those things. And as we begin to unpack this, and we begin to look into the way he did growth for himself, for his churches, the way that the scriptures present it, we begin to see a contrast emerging between what they were doing and the models they were using and what so many of us are doing in the West. It's the same, only opposite. And there's a place to write this in your notes. What the, the characteristics of healthy growing bodies were whole, integrated, and prioritized. And in contrast, Western spirituality is typically, not always, but typically incomplete, fragmented, and secondary to other priorities. All right, let me illustrate this with my little object lesson, and we'll get to him in just a second. But first, I want to talk about some discipleship essentials here. John F. Kennedy said, hey, let's go to the moon. That was his big deal, right? We, and and we, we did it. 
Jesus gave a great commission. He said, go into all nations, make disciples, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. So he gave us this great commission, and it was to make disciples. To make disciples. And again, you can't make disciples unless you are one, right? So he gave us this great commission. So what we're trying to do as a church, and many of you have seen how we've been, been refining this and, and trying to make this more helpful and more accurate over the years. We're, st- we're trying to identify what are the discipleship essentials. Because there's a, an unlimited number of things we could do. What are the most essential things? And so here's where our list is at. We believe to be a follower of Jesus. One part of that is about discovering. It's about discovering a more transformational walk with God. Trying to help people move from, I'm not even interested, to, I'm curious, to, I'm going to surrender my life to God, to now we're honoring him with more and more and more of our life. And that is a key part of what we do. In fact, if we were to just keep reading, In Ephesians, just go to verse 17 and keep going. It is very explicit to say, okay, here's what this looks like, you guys. Here's what life in Christ looks like. And there's very specific teaching about trying to live a God-honoring life and what that looks like. So that is a key part of discipleship, as is connecting. This is a key part of what we're called into, to move from neighbor to guest to friend to family. With God as our father, we're to be brothers and sisters. That's what we're called into. This is, just, this is essential. This is the teaching of, 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 of God. In fact, they said, um, Jesus said in his final night with his disciples, he said, the world's going to know that you're my disciples by your what? Does anyone know? By your love for who? For one another. Specifically. Yep, it's great that they see you reaching out to the rest of the world too. That is awesome. It's vital. We're going to get to that in a second. But they're going to know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Is that one matter? Is that part of what a disciple of Jesus? Yeah. Stewarding. We're, we're called to steward all of God's resources with God's, with God honoring intent. Whose stuff is everybody, all this stuff around us. It's ultimately whose it's God's. So helping to move from, I'm keeping it all, all the stuff he's entrusted me to I'm sharing some to God, this is yours. So you get first and best to, you know what, being to a joyful, getting to a spot where we're joyful givers. And why do I say that's essential? Because there was a, an account where Jesus came across this guy, rich young ruler. And, and that guy, he was keeping everything else. What did Jesus say? One thing you lack. What was the one thing that that guy lacked? Jesus said, hey, take everything you got. Liquidate it all. Follow me. And the guy didn't do it. You know, so, so is that essential? Yeah. And then there's the, one, the other one, serving. And we specifically b- took serving and reaching out and created two categories. They overlap, of course, but, but these are two distinct categories as well. We're to serve our Christian brothers and sisters as Christ modeled and taught. You know, Jesus on his last night with the disciples, he, he, he washed their feet. And then he said, you guys go do the same. The greatest will be the servant. Serve one another specifically one another. That was specifically a teaching on serving one another. So when we gather together, moving from a consumer, where we just look at the awesome stuff that the worship band did, we drop our kids off, grab some cookies, to know we're a part of this. We're serving one another. So moving from consumer to volunteer to recruiting people to help be a part of this, to actually training them in, making disciples. And then reaching out. That's essential too. 
reaching out. I mean, you, you go through the scriptures, Luke 15, Isaiah 58, Matthew 25. You read those. If you haven't done it to the least of my brothers, you haven't done it unto me, says Jesus. Are, you, are we reaching out in Jesus' name to those who are lost and hurting? Are we moving? Because in the suburbs, if you want, you can become insulated from the lost and the hurting. Moving from there to really introduced, to engage, to advocating about something, something that matters to God. And then that last one, so passionate about that, leaving a legacy by handing off a brightly lit, well-fueled torch to the next generation. Moving from I'm welcoming the next generation into our ministry, to I'm modeling, to I'm equipping, to I'm entrusting. Kind of like Jesus did with the 12 disciples, who we, as best we can imagine, were teenagers. Most of not all of them. Okay, so my question to you is, which of these can we drop off and be an authentic follower of Jesus? Which can you just ignore? Here's the, here's the object lesson that came to my mind, and I, I don't know why this didn't come to mind earlier in, I don't, in, in, my, um, in doing what I do, but uh, how many of you have seen bigger versions of this in some science lab somewhere before? All right? This is a, a body. What happens if you start taking pieces of a body? Oh, I, I don't need that. I don't need that long either. This thing, what does it even do? You know, take that out. Liver, eh, I don't like eating liver, so I don't want to have one. Uh, stomach, you know, you, you, when you start taking pieces away from an integrated healthy system, what happens to that body? It dies. May I present to you that, that, that there's some of us here where maybe this is the whole reason why God drew you here today, to, to just hear this. Perhaps one of the reasons why you're struggling when it comes to growth is not because you aren't trying really, really hard in an area. Maybe you're trying really, really hard to, to connect with other people. Maybe you're trying really, really hard. Maybe you're listening to 15 podcasts a week, trying to fill your mind. Maybe you're trying really, really hard to get out there and meet the needs of the poor. May I present to you that perhaps one of the reasons you're struggling is because it's not, you're, you're not following Jesus and having more of an integrated system, an integrated approach to discipleship. You know, Western Christianity, it's typically incomplete. It's also usually fragmented. It's fragmented. Growth occurs when our systems are integrated, when our respiratory system works with our circulatory system, which works with our digestive system, which works with our nervous system, which works with our bones and our muscles. And again, remember that God is the one who created bodies and he created the metaphor. So does it make sense that perhaps one of the reasons we struggle is we try to do this here and that there and, and we're fragmented. I had a big aha moment a couple years ago. And I'm just now, I think, really starting to go, I'm okay with this. Um, here's my aha moment as I said yes to this call to be a pastor, one of the things that I've heard countless times, countless times, is when you're preparing to give a talk or a message, if you're using the Bible for that, which you should be doing, that doesn't count for personal devotions. Why? 
Why doesn't that count? Where is it written that that doesn't count? In fact, where is it written that you should be reading your Bible every morning? I know I'm committing evangelical heresy right now. But here's what I also know. I know that when I prepare these messages, I immerse myself in the word. And I'm studying it, and I'm praying about it, and I'm bringing to bear all these things. And some of you guys have seen it. In fact, it's embarrassing a lot of Sundays because I'm like, do you know what the Bible says? And some of you saints who've been studying the word forever are just kind of like, yeah, actually I did. And, you know, I've known this for 50 years. You know? <laughs> but I'm like, I didn't. And, and there's these discoveries we're making. Tell me why that doesn't count. Could it be that all of us have these things that we just, these paradigms that we've been taught from a Western lens that you got to do this and you got to do this and you got to do this and you got to do this. And there's this list that is impossibly large that none of us can do. And we're feeling stressed out and we're guilty and feel guilty and all that kind of stuff. And it's a model that isn't even scriptural. Is it possible that when it comes to spiritual growth, integrated is better? Is it possible when it comes to spiritual growth that mile deep is better than mile wide? And I join with Brandon in his excitement. I join with Jason in his excitement because we've been talking and praying and trying to say, what does this look like? What, what as a church could we do to try to bring these things together to become more mile deep instead of mile wide to grow, grow, grow in all the right ways. And here's what it looks like on paper right now. That we do big church really, really well. We do small church really, really well. We offer the best possible resources for people's families that we can come up with. And we offer the best possible resources for individuals that we can come up with. If you could leave this on the screens for just a minute or two. Um, it is becoming increasingly clear that the Western model of trying to involve your family or yourself in 20 different Christian activities in 15 different locations on six different nights that involves content from 20 different sources on 20 different topics, it's not working. You know what? If it is working for you, great. Keep doing it. I don't know anybody that that's working for. The essence of Christianity, it's a lot more simple than we make it. The essence of Christianity is follow Jesus in community, isn't it? Isn't that it? Will you boil it down? It's follow Jesus in community. What if we all put our minds, that American drive and passion and smarts and all that, what if we we, us, all of us, and the others who are here at the other service, and the others who aren't here today, what if all of us put all that energy into? How do we do that well together? How do we follow Jesus in community together? What if this becomes our what? And what if our how is? Big church, small church, resources for families and individuals. Well, this is what we're going to unpack in the weeks ahead. And more than just unpack it, we want to invite you into it because we have, God has blessed this church with such gifted people. And we want to get 
your ideas, your teachers and you leaders and you CEOs and you doctors and you people, the artists and all this and help us with this next. This is it. The last talk point. I want to invite the worship band up as we give you this. Will you help us? Will you help our family become a body that's becoming better and better at inspiring and facilitating growth in all the right ways? We'd love for you to consider that as we close and seal this with the time with the song. Let's, let's pray. Jesus, you have firsthand knowledge of what it's like to step into a deeply divided world. A world that is so complex. A world that is so polarized. A world where there's so few examples of the pursuit of godliness done well. You get it. And you did it. We sang that right before I stepped up. You did it. On the third day, you rose again. You defeated the power of death. You empowered people who went out in the power of your Holy Spirit and changed the world. So God, would you once again inspire your people? Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive. Help us to pursue a faith that is whole and integrated and is our number one priority. Would you fill us with their spirit? Inhabit the praises of this song. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.